Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Batman Returns, the gas chamber, and Cheetos chicken fries. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. My guest today is the senior political correspondent for Mike and the co-host of Special Relationship, a podcast jointly presented by Mike and The Economist, which examines the race for the president from a global perspective. I'm, of course, talking about Celeste Katz. Celeste, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, So your year, I'm just going to get right into this. Your year must have been insane because you uh, you were were talking before that we started. You were at the Daily News. You left uh, to go to Mike in January in the thick of this thing really I mean, it's kind of hard to believe, actually. It, it has just ruled this year and like half of last year, too. Uh, are you tired? I'm pretty tired. Yeah. <laughs> I think that once he came down the escalator, that was sort of it for sleep until now. Yeah. Or maybe not even, depending on how this all plays out. And so you've been writing. You're on the campaign trail. You said you just got back from Denver. Mm-hmm, We're on the right. eve. I should say people are going to hear this tomorrow on Tuesday morning, the morning of the actual election where they're voting go vote yeah please just please vote not for donald trump um but like it's kind of insane sorry maybe you're a trump supporter i don't know we should talk no, about no no totally not not that. a not a supporting any candidate good uh, okay well, on, the, on the air here at all uh, no. not on the air no but you're gonna vote for something i encourage everybody to vote are you gonna vote i'm not even gonna talk about uh, what you can't I'm you do. won't even talk about voting that's interesting. I was just having a conversation with about some about this with somebody about the g- political uh, a, a journalist sort of duty in this read in this realm. And we should we should I would love to talk about this a little bit. But this idea that so you don't want to talk about who you're voting for. You don't want any of your personal opinion in the coverage at all. This is all about going just straight down the middle. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that story choice tells a lot about uh, what issues I might think are important or. Uh, or that sort of thing. But as far as uh, uh, endorsing a candidate or something like <laughs> right. that, or going off on a candidate, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it, if some people want to do that. If you're a columnist or if you're uh, writing that style of uh, that style of stuff, that's totally cool. And I'm not against it. That's just not me. Okay. So this is, I'm going to press on this a little bit because I'm actually really curious about it. Okay. How, how is it possible? Now, by the way, I think it is, but you've got to find, there's some point where like, clearly you have your opinions. You've got your personal preference. I mean, I assume. Um, you assume. I one assumes. I mean, maybe you're like, I don't get. I have not I recused myself from this process altogether. But hypothetically, if you're going to vote, um, how do you? Do you ever? I mean, do you have to check yourself when you're working on something? Do you have to say, well, wait a second, is this coming from a place where that's a personal place, or is this coming from a place that is like a kind of empirical journalistic place? Like, do you ever stop and say, am I doing this right? Well, I think everybody has to stop and say, am I doing this right or they're <laughs> doing it wrong? Right. Because you should always sort of look at yourself and say, am I asking the questions in a fair way? Am I asking useful questions? Am right. I asking the right questions? Am I preventing myself from asking a question I should be asking, which is just as bad, if not worse, Right. in my opinion? Um, I personally, for example, I'm not registered with a political party. Even so, you know, if you talk about voting, for example, I wasn't even eligible to vote. Uh, in New York, which has a closed primary as, uh, you know, as an unaffiliated voter. Right. But in a way, I think that also perhaps makes me a little bit more comfortable asking people questions about this because I don't feel 
compelled to defend anybody or to attack anybody from that kind of personal standpoint. Right. But I mean, I think it would be pretty. I think it's pretty common if you talk to other people in the press corps, say uh, you wouldn't be out there donating money to a candidate right. or having a, a sign in your window or on your lawn. I mean, well, if, if we weren't in New York and you had a lawn, but <laughs> right. you know what I mean, right? So, if you ever saw a lawn, that would be yeah. – Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've heard about lawns. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's been rumored to exist. I don't know. Um, many people are saying. But so you're so – you, but you feel <laughs> – many people, sources <laughs> familiar with the matter. Um, but you so, – so you feel like – this is a, a place that's a, a comfortable place for you to be. See, because for me, and I'm not a political reporter, so this is, I mean, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't, but I feel like I have this, um, it's like it would be impossible for me to pretend like I didn't feel, not, not that you're pretending, but for me, it would be impossible to remove my personal sort of like feelings about, not from the a pursuit of a true, of a story or not, right, but like, there would have to be some acknowledgement, I feel like, of – and by the way, I don't – I have to say in this election, I'm not like, man, I love either one of these candidates, right? It's actually an easy one to say, you know what? These are both pretty – they have flaws. Like these are not perfect people. But like there is definitely like – in my in my opinion, there's like a – there's a candidate who falls on uh, the wrong side of history and there's one that is definitely on the more right side of history. They Maybe not the perfect side but the more right. And so it would be very hard for me to pretend like or to even act like I didn't feel that way. And so it's impressive to find a place in the middle that you can get to. I understand the journalists are supposed to do this. I just feel like it's very hard to actually do it. Well, I think you can – I mean let me put it this way. I would say that maybe – what you're talking about might manifest itself in a slightly different way. For example, I just got back from uh, Colorado where I was talking to people. At, I went to a, uh, an event for Hillary Clinton and I went to an event for Donald Trump, uh, which is uh, it was fortunate for me that it, it worked out that way because I got to talk to uh, supporters of, of both of those candidates. And in speaking to uh, a young man at a Trump rally, uh, he expressed to me that he did in fact believe that People in the Clinton, the Clinton campaign are, if not actively engaged in devil worship, uh, they are, uh, quote unquote, associated with Satanists. Mm -hmm. Okay, that so. Sounds, that sounds right. Uh, yeah, well, I can confirm. I am. <laughs> you, you got that? Okay, yeah. So um, uh, thank you, Ryan. I just want it. But, I, you know, you say to the guy. All right. I mean, what am I going to do? Like get up on a soapbox and deliver a 20 minute screed at the right. guy to explain right. to him why. But I said, why do you think that? Yeah. Where do you where do you get that? Do you do you have any evidence to believe to make you believe that that could possibly be true? But on the other hand, I mean, you might go to a, a you know I've talked to Clinton supporters. They say, oh well, you know Donald Trump he uh, he sexually assaults women all the time. Yeah, might not be all the time. Well, okay. might only be occasionally. <laughs> well, I mean, but you say okay. Well, what makes you think that? What, right. Where where do you where do you get that from? So, right. um, I think it's. I mean, I understand so, the whole the but, whole but, you know you, will more, admit. you know like uh, how do they call this. Uh, um, uh, false equivalence theory, right? Or well, there, and there is a ton of that. I mean, I think there is a kind of. We feel the need to to level, and, and not that you're doing this, but I mean, generally speaking, like there is this 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 feeling that um, 
well, both candidates are flawed, as I said. They are both flawed in different mm-hmm. ways, but there's some there's some equality in the flaws there, right? And and there is the, I think this is the to me the striking part about this election. I think if you go back and look at uh, Mitt Romney and Obama. No, look, I didn't like, uh, you know, there are problems. Again, Obama's not perfect. Mitt Romney, clearly not perfect. But you could make an argument like, okay, I can see Mitt Romney being a reasonable presidential candidate who has a normal amount of flaws, like said some dumb things, maybe hasn't been that great with his finances or has done some stuff that's a little bit on the edge of, okay, maybe I don't love that. But still seems like a regular, regular politician, like a regular guy who, who you know, you, you didn't have people at, you probably didn't have a ton of people at Mitt Romney rallies saying that they felt Obama was a, a devil worshiper. I mean, actually, well, <laughs> I say that out loud, but I think now I think maybe I think that's, you're looking for the example of Jew S.A., Jew S.A. Yeah, the right. Jew S.A. Yeah. guy. Do we have Jew S.A. at the Mitt Romney <laughs> rallies? Were there any Mitt Romney rallies? I don't know. There <laughs> were many. I covered that. This is I'm actually embarrassed to say I'm covering my fourth presidential election. That's great. You've and, seen it all. Uh, well, after this one, I certainly think I have. But <laughs> Maybe. Uh, we don't know. This, is, this could be just the start yeah. of a whole new kind of cycle. I haven't even lived through this one, and you're already killing me with this. But uh, I mean, but to your point, okay, so interestingly enough, yeah, many, you know, uh, many times you would interview people, and they would they would not say that, you know, the world would come to an end if Mitt Romney became president, that we were you know, on the verge of of World War Three yeah. and nuclear annihilation and that sort of thing. But as far but <laughs> but true. but you would hear people say, "Well, I think he'd probably be an okay president." But you know what? I'm not voting for that guy because he's a Mormon. Right. Well, that's rude. Yeah. But also, I get it. I mean, people. I understand why people are Mormonism is not well known or sort of. I mean, it's not that well understood. I think by non practitioners, right? It's no. just a kind of strange version of Christianity. I can understand somebody being a little skeptical or suspicious of it. I mean, they were skeptical of Catholicism not that long ago, right? Right. right? <laughs> so right. you know, but it is. We have a much more dramatic. Okay, maybe it's like he's a Mormon. I don't like that. This is a very this different. This is not. This I do, is like I do Hillary Clinton worships the devil, and Donald Trump is a rapist. Like that's the levels that we're at. And one of them might actually. I don't know. Maybe both of them are true. <laughs> Who actually knows at this point? But I don't think that Hillary Clinton is is involved in any kind of like satanic rituals. I think that's probably on the outskirts of reality. Whereas the Donald Trump stuff is, from what we understand well within the realm of reality, right? Based on the what we've heard from women who've accused him of sexual assault and based on what we heard from him in this tape from 2005, devil worshiping, we don't have any evidence that Hillary has been involved in that. Nothing on tape, no pictures, no women have come forward and said- Spirit cooking. Yeah, you know, I was at, right. a, I was at a devil, I was at a devil mm-hmm. worship uh, ceremony with her. But we definitely know that Trump is much closer to an accusation, maybe not all the time. So that changes that does change like the the I mean our reality is different well, yeah, than like the also, person who says talks about the devil worship. If you're if you're talking about I mean if you're if what you're trying to write about is whether somebody is qualified for the office of president, yeah. then I mean of course you're going to have issues of personality and you're going to have rumor and innuendo and those things are are ideally sort of separate. I mean if you have people or a campaign sort of actively peddling misinformation about a candidate. I mean, Donald Trump is is uh, certainly beyond complicit in the, the birther movement, for right. example. Okay, right. so we know that. So a deliberate attempt to uh, to spread information like that is a matter for concern. Um, 
But at the same time, if you look at, you know, if you go to these Donald Trump rallies, to be fair, not every single person there is convinced that, you know, uh, people in the Hillary Clinton campaign are are dancing around a fire in the woods or drinking blood or whatever this is supposed to involve. These are actually people. There are some people who are there who say, you know what? I really don't like Hillary Clinton. I don't trust her. I don't think she was a particularly effective secretary of state. She has a lot of experience. I don't think that experience was particularly good or impressive. Right. And she's been in Washington too long and I'm not interested. Right. And I would rather take a chance on Donald Trump, whatever his his many uh, flaws and oddities may be, than guarantee myself four years of somebody who is – not showing me that she has anything that I right. particularly want. Which is, a, which is a kind of nor- – which you can – you would know this by like looking at how this election has played out. But yes, of course, that's a very reasonable position to take. It's just that Trump is surrounded by so many unreasonable people making so – taking so many unreasonable positions like the white you – know, these white power, you know, the alt-right. This kind of like – you know, when you've got the Ku Klux Klan endorsing a candidate, it's – very hard to see past like that those associations to the uh, average voter. My trouble with this, though, I'll be honest with you, my trouble with this idea that the average voter looks at Hillary Clinton and says, well, I don't trust her. I don't like the way she was. You know, I don't like her work as secretary of state. I understand that. But the alternative is like so to me anti-American, like so much of what Donald Trump's rhetoric is about is so against what the, the sort of founding ideals of this country are, at least at least what our modern conception of those ideals are, it, it strikes me as odd that you could look past all of that as well, right? If you care so much about the direction the country is headed in. So it feels those statements seem at in some way at odds with one another, right? It's like, I don't know, it's like if you're choosing the lesser of two evils, I feel like there's one evil that seems clearly less pronounced to me. I think that for for many people that is true. I mean, for when you go out and you talk to people, though, I just my my point in saying that was that to I think that a lot of times when you have somebody who jumps up and does this this USA act or people shouting at us in uh, in the press pen and and screaming tell the truth and and cursing at people or wearing the lynching shirt or and you know I mean people like that are certainly disturbing. They don't give the campaign or the country, frankly, uh, a very good name. The question is, are they representative of the average uh, enrolled Republican voter? Right. Are they are is the person who went out and voted for Mitt Romney because they thought he was a good businessman or for John McCain because he was a, a veteran who they thought would serve honorably as president? I mean, are those people all to be lumped in with some guy screaming, you know, hanger high at yeah, a, right. at, at, at a mean, Trump rally? At the moment, I think, unfortunately for them, they are because this is like it's that's the thing that's so prevalent in the press, right? That 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 is the environment that Trump has created. But I agree. I mean, there is a reasonable Republican voter. Undoubtedly, I actually wish we had a reasonable Republican candidate. I feel like it would be nice to look at. I would. I'm open to the concept of a Republican candidate who is viable to me, 
I just we just haven't seen one in a really long time. No, and I think that's a huge problem with the Republican Party and what I've seen over the last couple of elections uh, has really sort of blown up in this election because the Republican Party and I, I'm talking a lot about this because basically as a result of almost like a coin flip. Many years ago, I ended up covering a lot of Republican politics, mm-hmm. um, and I covered Democratic <laughs> politics too. Li- you know, living in New York, obviously, there's uh, a lot of uh, uh, there's a huge advantage in enrollment, and there are very few Republican elected officials in the city, practically none. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think what you uh, what you see when you look at this stuff is um, Trump has really has really made a bad problem worse for the Republican Party. Because after Mitt Romney lost, the Republican Party said, okay, you know what, let's take a hard look at ourselves and see what the hell we're doing wrong. Okay, we're not reaching out to young people. We're not reaching out to minorities. We're not reaching out to women enough. We're making a huge mistake. We got to fix this. Yeah. And here we are. It's crazy. To hear, and you're 100% right. That was the conversation after Mitt Romney lost. It was like, okay, we have this white guy, classic white Republican man. It's just not reaching his message. I mean, there was the binders full of women thing. And it's like, clearly. Okay, okay but a Mitt Romney gaffe compared to, I mean, you know, like Mitt Romney. I, will long, I long for the days of a Mitt Romney gaffe. Oh, well, you know, there's a difference <laughs> between Mitt Romney getting caught on tape saying something about the 47% and. Donald Trump getting caught on tape saying something. I'm not going to say that on your program, but you know, we'll play a sample of it. Yeah, I'm not going to say it, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, different, different tone in the campaign. Yeah, huge. Don't you feel like isn't there some kind of like you want to say? Oh, a lot of Republicans are can be level-headed, and there are business-focused Republicans and religious sort of driven Republicans. But isn't isn't there some significance to the fact that the neo-Nazis and the KKK and the anti-Semites and the men's rights activists and all these groups are only really attracted to one party? Like, isn't that of some kind of note where you're like, something's different in the water here? Well, I personally, I think, yeah, but also Donald Trump has made it, has really welcomed. They were like, they're welcome, but people don't really want to talk about them, look at them, or like put them in, in a spotlight. Donald Trump was like, let's put them in a, in a spotlight in a lot of ways. I think that their message, I mean, there's a difference between, again, I mean, I'm certainly not defending it because if you look at the alt-right and you see what they represent and you see that the, the, the things that they say about people, you see how they attack people on social media. Uh, it, is, it is exceptionally disturbing. And, I mean, I'm not going to say that I am so, uh, I'm so removed from from the realities of what I'm covering as to say, well, you know, that's just another valid viewpoint. I don't think I, I don't think I can fairly say that, that I, that I believe that. Um, I think the difference with Trump is that his message creates a place in the political discourse for people who say those things. Now, do you think that Donald Trump is uh, running around his house, you know, reading the Daily Stormer and and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, I I mean, I don't I don't know that he actually reads anything terribly much, except maybe his own press. But um, but what I do think is that when he puts out a message like "Make America Great Again," "America First," these type of Lindbergh, uh, you know, sort of populist nationalist messages. Uh, I think uh, Bill Crystal was on our program once, and I think he called it nationalist, populist, 
demagogic. And there were so there were all these other words that he that he sort of rattled off. But uh, these kinds of groups that are that are disturbing to to mainstream Americans can fit his message to theirs right. in a way that maybe didn't fit in into other campaigns before. I think we all remember uh, during when John McCain was running and there was a guy who got up at one of his events and said, well, you know, Obama, he's a Muslim. And John McCain stopped that yeah. right away. Right. And he said, you know what? He is. We disagree on politics, but he's an honorable man. He's not a Muslim. Right. And we're not going there. We're and, not doing this. And that was and that was rhetoric driven by Sarah Palin. I mean, that was really I remember. I mean, this was like coming off of you know, either they're the convention where she gave her kind of like red meat firebrand speech about, you know, America and the two Americas and right. real Americans. Remember that? I yeah. mean, which is really the I mean, Sarah Palin might have been the first loudest signal that something was really broken in the Republican Party where you have this kind of it's gone from we disagree about we disagree on abortion or we disagree on. You know, how we spend the money when it comes to the military or, you know, where we when we go to war, when we don't. It went into a place that was like felt much more personal and much more um, nationalistic at its roots. Right. But you're right. That was a big moment. I remember thinking, wow, I really this is I have a I have respect for McCain for bringing that level of trying to bring a kind of level of discourse to even the basest argument. Right. Oh, he's a Muslim. You know, it's kind of anti anti Muslim. He just wasn't going to have it. The right. difference is when Donald Trump had the same opportunities to put the brakes on and say, "Look, I have uh, disagreements with Hillary Clinton on on policy, on immigration, on taxes, on anything, anything." Right. But we're not going to do it that way. He didn't say that. He. He didn't stop it. If anything, he was like the person in the crowd. I mean, he was like he was he was the person like lobbying the the you know the grenades, you know, right? So I think that well, if you come out of the gate and called Mexicans rapists and say you're going to build a wall, I mean, this right. was the first within minutes, within minutes of the open of of the campaign. It's sort of incredible, actually. I mean, I thought for sure when you heard that there'd be such a revulsion in the country, even to people who maybe have. Are harboring their latent prejudices or you know whatever, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, the guy who's like, they're all rapists, they're all killers. We got to send them back. That's not going to play. Well, there was there was a revulsion. I mean, even you know within the ranks of the Republican Party, you had you know people like Jeb Bush and 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 Marco Rubio saying, this is outrageous. You can't talk like that. This yeah. is this is not the answer. And yeah. <laughs> you know if you want to find those guys and interview them about it now, uh, you know you can look for them. You can look for them anywhere you want, but you can't find them on a ballot. I mean... We should take a quick break, but um, we'll be back with Celeste Katz and more about this very depressing and soon-to-be-over election cycle. Support for this podcast comes from Salesforce. Salesforce helps marketers get smarter about their customers and plan better campaigns that blur the lines between marketing, sales, commerce, and service, all in the name of customer success. Salesforce powers marketing for the world's most innovative brands from tailored emails to engaging mobile apps, social media, and targeted ads. Salesforce helps marketers blaze a trail for the brand journeys their customers want. 
That's great marketing made by you with Salesforce. Connect to your customers in a whole new way. See a demo at salesforce.com slash tomorrow. We're back with Celeste Katz, and we are talking about 2016, the end of 2016, and the end of a, probably the most tumultuous election cycle, certainly in my lifetime. And I thought, you know, when 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 Bush and Gore were fighting it out for for Florida, you know, I thought this is God, America is in trouble. It now seems like, and I thought, frankly, the Bush years, you know, the war in Iraq, the 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 way the economy was handled, and what happened at the tail end of it. I was like, okay, it doesn't get any worse than this. And and Trump has proven me wrong, I would say. Like, I thought it can't get crazier. What is the – so I want to know from you because you've been covering this. You've been on the trail. You've been talking to supporters. Uh, you've been talking to – I don't know if you've spoken to the candidates or not, but you have. Okay. Sure. Um, what is the big takeaway from this? Like, what are we supposed to – what is our – the thing that we've learned about American politics? And, and, and where do we go past this? I mean, I think for the Democrats – it's kind of business as usual. I don't feel like Hillary – I do think that they're going to evaluate really deeply whether or not like the familiar is still effective in in getting people fired up because I think Obama was a relatively new face and, and had a pretty different message than we heard from Democrats and obviously got people listening and thinking and talking and voting. Hillary is – feels – whether you love her or hate her, there's no denying she is – she has been a politician a long time. She's been in politics a long time. Her husband has been the president, right? And so, which is unprecedented, by the way. We seem to have forgotten all of this crazy stuff. Oh about yeah, that whole how unprecedented this whole thing is that a president may be going back into the White House as the first man or whatever we're calling him, and the the first guy, the first gentleman, <laughs> the first gentleman, <laughs> and 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 a woman is going to potentially right. be president. All this amazing stuff that we should really be talking about, and we're not. But anyhow, but the Democrats sort of like, okay, we're not too broken. We've got some problems, but we're not too broken. But but the Republicans feel like, frankly, win or lose. What? Yeah, I just tell me, give me your take on this. What are we supposed to think, and and where and what happens next? Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, the Republican Party definitely has some some soul searching to do here. That's kind of a cliche phrase, but it's just, I mean, what has happened to the Republican Party, how Donald Trump wiped out all these much more moderate. And they, a lot of them weren't more moderate. I mean, I don't think anybody is, is running around calling Ted Cruz a moderate. Yeah, right. He, used, mean, to, he used to seem so crazy. He was the <laughs> yeah, Marco Rubio is an intellectual now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and Jeb Bush, what is he like a Democrat? I mean, compared to what we have. But I mean, if you want to look at it, you know, you know, okay, so you can say that the the Democratic Party maybe is now sort of more unified and they feel comfortable that they have uh, an accomplished, experienced standard bearer who is ready to lead the country. But, you know, walk back a couple of months. I mean, when you had people on the floor, on the floor of the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, Booing Bernie Sanders when yeah. they when he asked them to vote for Hillary Clinton yeah. for president, people were enraged. I mean, people wearing feel the burn shirts to Hillary Clinton's 
Democratic National Convention. You yeah. had people saying, you know, Bernie or bust. There were thousands of people outside that convention. I got I got rained on and, and and all sorts of I mean, it was I was in Cleveland and and we all had, you know, all sorts of gear and stuff because we thought there would be riots and people fighting the cops and like all Bernie, sorts of Bernie people. No, I mean, well, in, in when we first went to before that we were in Cleveland for the Republican National oh, Convention. Right. Well, that's and of course, we thought yeah. it was going to be with, you know, Trump's convention. We yeah. thought it was going to be war. Yeah. I think they arrested like 26 people. Yeah. Then you get to Philadelphia and the streets are shut down. There are people out there living in the parks, just, just enraged, enraged at the party, enraged at the nominee, upset, disappointed, disgusted. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, we're going to get off topic here a little bit, but I want to ta- touch sure. on that for a second. Yeah. How much of that, and I was, I have to tell you, honestly, like I understand you love Bernie. Bernie didn't make it. I voted for Bernie, actually, in New York. He didn't make it. My wife voted for Hillary. We're like, okay. But here's the thing. I was like, okay, if it's going to be Hillary, I can live with that. I'm not like, I can't believe this person has hijacked this election. But there was a feeling amongst certain supporters that 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 this was like an apocalypse. That Like now it's the whole thing is ruined that Bernie is not going to be the nominee. Where does that come from? Is that is that – and I'm going to throw a couple of things. Maybe neither of these or none of these are the thing. Is it – Disappointment over Obama and what in the fact that he seemed much more moderate and mainstream than he put than than maybe people felt he was during his campaign. Is it that Hillary has you know kind of a checkered question? Not I don't want to say it's questionable, but she's got some some uh, dents. She's got a long history. Yeah, long which history. Some baggage. Few dents in the armor. Um, or is it just general new? Is that is that a youth? vote unrest is that a hey you know what we were you know we're 18 we're 20 we don't we don't know anything but this hope this kind of hope rhetoric that we've heard from obama and that maybe hasn't lived up to it and we want something really radical where is it coming from well what is that i think that there were young people who were very very excited about obama and maybe he was the first person that they voted for Uh, maybe they voted for him uh, you know, for the second term, that might have been their first vote, say. Right. So they lived through four years or eight years of Obama. And uh, do they suddenly have much, much less student debt? Are they suddenly getting paid a lot more at their jobs? Are right. they suddenly able to buy their first house, uh, you know, without bankrupting themselves for the rest of their lives? In many cases, the answer is no. And for people who are getting into the political process for the first time, the first person that they may have uh, heard about Hillary Clinton from, having not lived through her uh, husband's presidency, was Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders (laughs) spent an incredible amount of uh, time and energy and some money uh, explaining to the American public just what a lousy president Hillary Clinton would be, that right. she was a, that she was a, a figure of, of establishment politics that didn't work, that she was too centrist, too moderate, that she wouldn't, you know, fight for real change, that she was, she was uh, tied up in the backslapping of Wall Street, that she was making corporate speeches to all these fat cats, wouldn't tell you what the speeches were about. <laughs> which is true, which was true. <laughs> okay, so people listen to this, yeah. and they listen to Bernie's message, the primary happens. He loses. Some people say, of course, that the party rigged it. It's rigged. Rigged yeah, is the word you know. word of the year, right? Oh, oh it is. It is. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they. Uh, this is evidenced by the fact that uh, 
the chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee is summarily dismissed. Yeah. And, uh, and so they look at this and they say, well, but now, Bernie, you're telling me this is the greatest candidate since sliced bread. And right. I can't wait to get out and vote for her. And people are saying, are you kidding me with this, man? Yeah. Are you kidding me with this? Really? It's. Tr- I mean, it's true. It is. But of course, this is politics, isn't it? Well, sure. I mean, this is how the game is played. I mean, of course. This is, and it's what's strange. But these are people who haven't played the game before, right. and they don't want to start playing it this way now. Right. This is what I. But what I don't understand is that is that this doesn't work without compromise. It never works without compromise. I mean, in fact, you know, the kind of the lack of compromise on the part of the Republicans has been one of the most destructive. Uh, components of Obama. I mean, Obama's inability to do certain things, even when they were not necessarily a hardline Democratic position on something, you know, when it was just because Obama wanted to do it, the Republicans were sitting in the Senate and the House saying, no, we're not going to do that. It does feel like that has has infected, it's become this all or nothing sort of, I mean, I've heard people talk about this a lot. Sorry, I'm sort of jumping around, but like in both the Inside the party politics and in terms of the two-party politics that we have, everything is becoming increasingly uh, polarized and severe and winner takes all. And so it's interesting that we saw with the Democrats at the DNC and beyond and still – I mean Susan Sarandon, there's a video that's been circulating. How about she won't vote for Hillary and she, you know, Hillary's a crook and Bernie was the answer. And it's like if you, here's what I don't get. I understand that you you want the change, but if your alternative is Donald Trump, is it that people don't understand what presidents do? Do they not understand how governments function? Because to me, the, 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 if you look back at Bush, I'm rambling here a little bit, so you'll have to jump in and save me at some point. But if you look back at Bush, you go, okay, yeah, you know, not a great president, not a great eight years of, of America not great wars that we got into, not great financial situations we got into. Who we elect matters. Of course, and I, but the president cannot work alone. I mean, in answer to your question, do people not understand how government functions? I would imagine that the people who are listening to your program understand quite a bit about yeah, so they're very smart. how government functions. And uh, people like me who constantly talk to people in politics or people in in. Uh, uh, social activism or or things like that understand a lot about it. But to the average person, and some people talk about, oh, low information voters and, you know, maybe people legitimately don't have a lot of time to consume that kind of information. I mean, if somebody is working two jobs, worrying about child care, late on the taxes and, uh, you know, wants to go out and have a good time once in a while, I mean, is it really fair to expect them to spend Three hours a day watching C-SPAN. I don't think it's fair to expect that anybody does that. But I love C-SPAN. That's oh, great. It's, it has its moments. You get my point. Though. Three hours a day is a lot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thirty minutes a day. I mean, for right. example, I mean, you know, if you wanted to, I mean, but, is but there education a- of an electorate is kind of important, isn't it? I mean, don't we have? Isn't part of the problem here that no one knows how things work? Well, yeah, and the, the issue is there. I think that. If people learn more about, not to sound sort of like a fogey or whatever, but if people uh, learn more about uh, history and and civics and and the rest of the world, uh, growing up in school, if these things were were emphasized more, perhaps, or if they were made more interesting, if they were taught in a more interesting way, uh, you know, that would be 
one thing, but I think people, you know, people are are so bombarded by information right now, right. and they do want to, you know, uh, everything is very siloed right now. So people who uh, may consume, say they they they're really interested in politics, they're super interested in politics, and they get all their political information from Breitbart News. Yes, they know everything they know about politics from Breitbart News, or or they get everything they know about politics from. Uh, uh, I don't know what's the, what would be the uh, you know the analog MSNBC. Of, was, was, well, no, okay, I mean there is no analog for for what well, Breitbart is well, because yeah, no, Breitbart is like well uh, now is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Trump for president. Yeah, but it was Breitbart was always a, I mean they they broke a st- one story and the rest of it was was essentially fantasy Republican fantasy. I mean the, the, these are these are people who are the birthers. These are people who are the 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 underpinnings of some of Trump's. Right. I mean, they rhetoric use, they use is, racial slurs in headlines. Right. This is the underpinnings of, of of Trump's rhetoric is actually sort of born of Breitbart as and and its ilk. I, I so I would just say I don't know what the Democratic equivalent is. Maybe there is, but I've never seen it. But I'm just saying, okay, so you get your all your news from you know some some website that you really like or some television program or or something. I was going to say there's those Facebook pages on both sides that just share memes with fake statistics that just get as much shares as possible. Right. That are right. that are then they get paid. That are so, so there's a lot of there's a lot of BS information out there, but there's a lot of of this sort of self-selecting consumption of news. And what's missing there, not to make myself sound super, super old, you know, I'm not like God when I was covering Garfield or anything. But, you know, mm. I mean, but but now that was uh, a there candidate. Was, there was a. Yeah. You know, but I mean, the difference is that at the time, uh, certainly people had very strong political feelings, but there was not either the inclination or the ability to consume news solely produced by uh, by an organization or a group of organizations of a singular uh, political standing and you know by the filter same, bubble was it was different. It was, I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, you bought a newspaper. The newspaper decided what should be on the front right. page. Those there were, were often things. two newspapers that would have. Yeah. You know, there's I mean, like the Republican leaning, oh, yeah. the Democrat leaning. Right. You know, like America they, has no BBC. Is the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we have. So, I mean, people. You know, people consume their news very differently. And if you want to, so if you want to talk about why isn't there any compromise? I mean, if people are able to live their lives feeling very. Uh, very much that they are are knowledgeable about the events of the day or what's really going on or who's a good guy and who's a bad guy, all based on the consumption of uh, partisan news, partisan material that is not news but is rumor and entertainment and worse. Right. Uh, okay. So then, I mean, or when just, people go just... to when people go to vote, uh, they carry with them into the voting booth these sort of predetermined ideas about basically like what a scumbag the other guy is. How could you you possibly vote for Hillary Clinton? Because, well, you've heard the stories, you know, it's sort of, I mean, and and I don't want to, and I don't want to build this up, but I mean, this is, I mean, what you're talking about is a system that is now engineered to deprive people of inform in some way. It's so it is information heavy. It is, it is dense, but light on real information. I mean, it is dense. There's a lot of there's a lot of words and a lot of numbers and a lot of framings of things. But like in terms of helping people actually understand like what the global view might be, 
of something. And I don't mean global like in terms of the planet, but I mean the zoomed out view of, okay, here's actually, there's this side, there's that side, and here's the thing in the middle that is what they're trying to accomplish, and here's how it works. There's not a lot of that. And you're talking about, you're describing a system, and this is, I mean, I am 100% on board with what you're describing in terms of understanding it and being frustrated by it. I mean, maybe you're not frustrated by it. I think you probably are frustrated by it. No, I think it it is frustrating. As 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 a news person, I think anybody who does this for a living is inside of it looking at the machinations of this thing and going, what? how do we put, get some sense into the middle of all of this? Because how do people learn about politics is really your question. How right. did we get to where we are based on what people know or learn about politics? And the answer is basically three things, maybe four things. One, how they grew up. You know, what what did my parents teach me? How did they vote? What did they say at the dinner table right. or that sort of thing? Or what did they shout at each other during fights or or something like that? OK, uh, number two, what did I learn in school? All right. Do I remember any of it? But you know, the basic principles of, of American history and how politics and government work and so on. OK, number three, these incredibly siloed, partisan, uh, sometimes devoid of information, news sources. And then the last thing is. From the campaigns themselves. Right. I mean, you know, where you go through, we've just gone through over, over uh, you know, a year and a half or so, about a year and a half of, of uh, just nonstop political advertising. Yeah. So people are bombarded with these ads and phone calls and, and all this information about how great this guy is and what a jerk the other guy is. And it's a lot for people to process, but these are the things that come together. And- when they vote. And in the process of this, all this stuff that we've built this with technology and all this, this world of conversation we built, this great like promise of, oh, you're taking out the middleman and you can go directly. You know, the wonder and, 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 um, and sort of part of the power of technology is that it has, it has lowered, it has lowered the uh, barrier to, commu- to communication, right? Direct communication, which is when you look at it, you're like, oh, that's so wonderful. Now right. I can speak directly to someone. I can, a candidate can spot, talk directly to Trump on Twitter. Great example, right? Sure. Trump can speak directly to the electorate now, every day, at every moment, from anywhere. But what that's actually done is the filter, sometimes you need the filter. Sometimes you want somebody to filter it for you to say, and like we've become more and more used to a lack of a filter, which gives us, which I think just puts everybody at sea in a big way. Now, I want to talk about something. I know we don't have a ton of time, but I think this is going to eat up. A, I want to discuss my pet topic for this election. Okay. Which I think you'll, I want to hear your opinion on. Sorry, I don't mean to veer out of that, but I think no, we, not at all. I think we agree there's like a, there's a, there is an information problem and that's part of what's driven us into this sort of very polarized state. But I want to talk about the Republican Party as a thing, as an idea and you mentioned this before about post Mitt Romney, this idea that the tent had to be in, enlarged, that we had you know more outreach to women, more outreach to um, minorities, um, perhaps the LGBT uh, uh, community, young people, young people. They've gone in a hundred percent the opposite direction. They've done a one eighty on that to with Trump. I mean, or at least Trump has caused them to do a one eighty. To me, when I look at the GOP and I look at the and I look at this election cycle, what I see is and I've talked about this a bunch, I've thought about it a lot. It's been a cut topic of conversation amongst friends. Um, the death of the sort of white male privilege feels like the death of of the white man as the dominant character in the world, in the our world of 
of power and politics feels like it has driven in some ways a lot of this kind of I don't know this huddle that's happening with with um, with the GOP and increasingly it looks like the world generally, especially though in America, is becoming less about what white men want and need and think. Now, admittedly, there's plenty of them still in power. But, you know, we've had our first black president. That was a huge moment for us. Eight years of our, our first black president. We may be on the precipice, who knows, of our first female president. Um, right now, it's looking like we've seen numbers in Nevada that there's a huge Latino vote that um, could be turning out. That's maybe the first time we see this in America in a major way. What does the Republican Party do in an environment where people are more brown, younger, more gay, more female? Like, what is the tell me how the Republican Party rehabs after this? Or is it are we headed towards like some kind of crazy civil war? Well, I think the the Republican Party has already experienced a civil war. Uh, I think that if you look at, uh, for example, at the uh Republican National Convention, they lay out the platform that's supposed to represent what the party stands for. And uh, the log cabin Republicans called this platform the most anti-gay platform they had seen in the in the history of history, practically. And they and they're they're basically saying, look, the the Republican Party is supposed to be, and people always say, you know, remember this is the party of Lincoln. This is not uh, a party that was founded on, on you know, hatred or, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. And they try to harken back to these, these very high-minded uh, historical roots. But people look at the Republican Party now and they say, you know what, you're going to have to make a choice because the demographics of the country are changing. That, uh, you know, the older uh, white sort of baby boomer male base of the Republican Party will eventually be replaced. That This is an interesting cycle, especially this year, the number of millennial voters, 69 million, is now equal to the number of baby boomer voters wow. who are eligible to vote. So that, it's that's really, registered? Yeah. So it's, right. I mean, well, eligible, eligible. Eligible. So, okay, and then, of course, sure. you have differences between, um, you have, uh, differences in terms of uh, percentage of turnout. Older voters, of course, are yeah, are, are much more are much better at actually showing say, up. We're not going to see all of the, all of the eligible millennials turn out. To no, vote. you're not going to see all of the eligible anybody turn up. But uh, you know, this is a this is a big, you know, this is a big tipping point for the country as a whole. And there's a, the parties need to compete for those voters. So in, in answer to your question, I would say that the Republican Party. We'll have to make a big decision. Are they going to have? Are they going to continue to emphasize these sort of social wedge issues, like being opposed to marriage equality, uh, being uh, anti uh, you know, anti choice? Are they going to uh, keep on with the stuff about uh, you know when they call like a, a religious liberty, you know, or the, you know the bathroom bill or things like right. this, or right. who should be able to kind to, of a Christian to, governance? Well, of... I mean, are they going to do that? Because I think that there are um, there's some research that shows this. I'm not going to get too far into it for fear of of uh, you know, bobbling and, and making some some contention that isn't quite right. But there has been some evidence to show that um, if young people are uh, tend to trend quite socially liberal, they also have uh, you know 
some fiscal conservatism because of their experiences in, uh, you know, with high taxation or not being able to uh, to deal with the burden of college debt or buying a home or, you know, getting out of uh, of living uh, with their parents and or, you know, things like that. They are not able to uh, attain maybe the lifestyle that their parents or their grandparents had that they would like to have for themselves and better. Right. And so can the Republican Party say that we have an, uh, you know, we have a set of beliefs that we think put into action would actually help you get to where you want to go. But when people look at that and they say, oh, well, that's interesting, Republican Party, tell me more. And then they, you know, they see to to get to those things, they have to get past the whole, you know, right to life kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, conception begins at birth and, and, uh, you know, stopping uh, um, funding to Planned Parenthood and all these things right. that, they, that they don't like, or they right. say like, I mean, and it's interesting because if you look at it, you know, not to ramble on and, and I'll, I'll pause right after this, but if you think about it, okay, the fundamental thing that you hear from a lot of Republicans is sort of a libertarian type of thing. Government is too big, yeah. too expensive, too intrusive. I want to be left alone. Okay. And the Republicans are, you know, the Republicans say, well, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Doesn't that sound good to you? And they say, yeah. So what the hell are you doing telling me who to marry? Right. Why is the government involved in that? Why is the government intruding on my personal decisions about how I live my life within my home, within my means, right. without harming anybody else? Well, this goes for the sort of the, the pro-life movement. I mean, you know, you hear this, well, states should have, it shouldn't be. The, I mean, really, but, you know, the, the, the Roe v. Wade decision in, in many ways at the core of it is about, you know, can a woman, can a woman choose uh, what is right for her and her body, right? It's very much about personal freedom, right? And yes, there's a religious argument made and there's a scientific argument. You can make this way and that way. But the reality is like we made a decision. I mean, the, the gay marriage, I mean, it wasn't saying that, you're not saying that, um, we're not saying, yes, everybody, you know, uh, you should get married. We're saying there. Are, you can't say that people can't get married, right? Uh, if if you can, if if a straight couple can get married, a gay couple can get married, and there's equality there. So, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of these laws that they seem very unhappy about speak directly to your point, directly to that. But what I hear from the when I think about the Republican platform, here's what I hear from them: a fiscal conservatism. I mean, maybe, I, I maybe. But I feel like they're responsible for the deregulation of – I mean I feel like Republic. there certainly is some blame on both sides. But there is a sense about deregulating, right? Deregulating. The free market will take control and all this. There's a philosophical difference in the kind of belief about how you manage an economy of a nation, um, which is now intertwined with the global economy as we see, right? right. I mean very clearly intertwined. Um the but but then okay so let's say fiscally they're conservative but they they seem to be more they seem more hawkish on war, more prone to going to war, more prone to putting troops on the ground in getting involved. Now you talk about libertarian, a big libertarian talking point seems to be let's not go get into foreign wars. Right, they but, have a more and some people would say well there are certain cases where you have to intervene where right. you have a moral obligation to get involved. Um, you know, the United States could have said you know. Uh, you know, in World War II, ah, you know, Europe this isn't really our problem. I right. mean, you know, you guys work it out. Well, we, we waited till kind of the last minute. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, we didn't jump in right when you know. 
It but, wasn't like we heard about the first gas chamber and we're like, let's get some tre- troops over there. Yeah, you know, so it's it's. But at the same time, I mean, I think that what people, the problem the Republican Party then has is that you hear these messages that are supposed to be or would be perhaps appealing to younger people and new people of this sort of idea of uh, you know, limited government, making your own decisions, personal responsibility, leave me alone, stay out of my house. Uh, you know, the government shouldn't be running everything. So, OK, right. but ask every Republican lawmaker who voted for a subsidy for ethanol in his state, who voted for a subsidy for uh Amtrak, which is basically uh, socialized right. transportation. I mean, what are right. they going to do? Not vote for a highway bill? I mean, are they not going to? Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, you could. I mean, the, you know, people would come to their campaign offices, and and that you know that'd probably be the the good news. So there are a lot of mixed messages there, and how the Republican Party gets out of that, I'm not quite sure. It's uh, I don't know if a de-emphasis on the social issues will be enough, or if there will have to be a seismic shift. And if so, taking your breath. And if so, to get to my point. Would they still be the Republican Party or would well, they become something else? This is what I mean. It's weird. What's interesting about Trump's speech at the and, and Ivanka's speech at the at the RNC was they actually said things. Now, I don't agree with much of what was said, but they actually said some things that were weirdly progressive about about paid leave for mothers and and, and LGBT rights. And, you know, this, yeah. you know, and and. You know, Peter Thiel comes out, you know, Peter Thiel, and he's like, it's a distraction to talk about what bathroom. And it's like, okay. So, but like, I, there was a, some, some of that stuff I thought was a weird, out, weirdly out of pace for what you usually hear from Republicans. But the reality is, it's like, well, they're saying stuff like that on, you know, on stage with a lot of people, you know, like uh, waving American flags and, and wearing hats, you know, that have, you know, whatever, like, uh, what, some, okay. Well, you know, I was talking more about like somebody wearing a cowboy hat because they're with the Texas delegation or that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, there's one thing about about saying those sort of things for a national audience because right. conventions are about the people watching on TV and sure. not the people in the room, and and then uh, pursuing different policies. And and interestingly, uh, Trump is not is not a traditional candidate in a lot of ways. He he doesn't <laughs> You I mean, don't say. Well, I mean, but in terms of in terms of being a Republican candidate. Right. I mean, like, he's a trade protectionist. Yeah. He's uh, you know, I mean, he he and Bernie Sanders, you know, like uh, interestingly enough, I mean, you talk about TPP or or NAFTA, that sort of thing. Um he's not uh, uh not there were Republicans who didn't want to cut. He was not talking about cutting entitlements, which is right. sort of a classic, you know, Republican, like, let's, you know, stop all this government spending, blah, blah. P.S. Your retirement age is now going up to 93. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. But, That's a problem. We're getting we're getting healthier. Actually, we're not. This country is very sick. Okay. But 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 OK. But, so here's the thing. But then Bernie says, well, we're going to have all this stuff. And you say, who's going to pay for it? Well, OK, fine. And, by, and they might both be in some way um, off their rockers on that, on those policies. But, but let's, but let's get down to so that what, like where we're at now, which is, okay, you've got a guy who has, who has emboldened the alt-right in some ways helped to really create it now. I mean, it was alt-right was a thing that had existed for a while, but it was so marginalized and off to the side and maybe they harassed you on Twitter. They never had an official nominee of a major yeah, they, party. They have the Republican candidate, right? The nominee for president. So, so, but then you've got, so you've got like David Duke emboldened Ku Klux Klan. I mean, of course he's taken a run at the president before. 
you got to have a couple of completely batshit Republicans. Um, then you, so you've got this just huge um, virulent strain of racism that now seems to be have completely, at least visually, if I'm watching from the outside, I'm not inside the party. Feels like it's a maybe Paul Ryan doesn't agree with it, but Paul Ryan didn't stand up and say, "I will not endorse." Somebody like Donald Trump who puts these people on a pedestal, but you've got so this alt right strain, the nationalist strain, this anti uh, anti brown people of any type, anti Muslim, anti Mexican, um, protectionist, nationalist, uh, just very different than than Mitt Romney. Well, Mitt Romney wasn't talking about pulling out of NATO. Very different, all right, but cozy with Putin, loves Putin. Uh, it seems to doesn't say wants, doesn't wants all the other world superpowers to have nukes. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> some of the stuff is Trump just says. I recognize. I'll say this on that point. Trump's just talking sometimes, and I think that like I'm open to the idea that when he says, "Yeah, why not give so and so nukes?" I don't think he really knows what he's saying. I don't think he really means it. I think he just it's like that's he likes more trouble. <laughs> well, no, of course it's of course it's troubling. But when you're at, but the stuff that he actually means, like I believe Trump is racist. Okay, and I and I and I really believe like I'm not saying i'm not an expert i don't know trump but if you look at his policies as a businessman and his what he says on stage as a politician i don't think there's a long walk to go like this guy seems to have a problem with darker skinned people he seems to have a problem with people who are muslim he seems to have a problem with people from mexico like that's to me he seems like kind of classic textbook or old, even just women's stuff like well that's... women i mean he's obviously got issues with women i mean i don't we don't even need to but i'm saying this is like the, this is the guy George Bush seemed like an asshole to me, but he wasn't. But but he was still a regular Republican politician. He was evangelical. That was a little bit of a tweak we well, hadn't seen. He was seen. a governor of Texas. He was, right. a, you know, he had some experience. He came from a family. His, his dad his was, president. was a president. Right. So his like, brother's he, Jeb Bush. How interesting could you be? Yeah, I'm <laughs> saying he talked the talk. He said some stuff that was horrible and that I disagreed with, but I didn't feel like. But everybody says stuff that is horrible and that you disagree with. I mean, when <laughs> Hillary Clinton used the word super predator, right, of you course. didn't stand up and cheer. I right. mean, people say things. <laughs> that's wrong. That are... I did, actually. That's why you don't know about me. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. No, no I mean, that's right. No, Ryan, Google that, please. They're, they're, I mean, look, Bernie's not spotless. Everybody, Every politician said some dumb shit. But I'm saying, but okay, super predators, horrible thing to say. Um I, I, you know, okay, it, but it, how it, about this? Okay, but but you know, even even uh, when she was running for, I am this old, you know, I did cover her run for the uh, the Senate for U.S. Senate in two thousand, and I understand the whole idea of political evolution. But okay, you know, super predators, one thing. Okay, Hillary Clinton, I believe that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. Yeah, even this year with the Nancy Reagan stuff, like. She's on thin ice with us. But the weed stuff, she said, you know, no, I don't think weed should be legalized. And it's like, okay, that to me feels like a really out of pace with like your your base. I mean, not the, maybe not the base, but a lot of the but young like, people. Why do you the, have to say anything at all? Well, she was asked. But I mean, like, at, why, at give, why not give like a nothing burger answer? <laughs> you could say, you could say, well, I think we need to look at, we need yeah. to look deeper at it. I'm, I'm open to all possibilities. You yeah. could say something like that. But but here's the thing. Yeah. You're, but you're right. It was weird to me. I feel like when I hear that, I think, well, this is – Hillary could have only done it for one reason, not because she truly believed that marriage was just between a man and a woman. My immediate reaction is she must have been saying that to win some affection of some well, some base somewhere, some, some audience. The, the Clintons have always been accused and perhaps not unfairly so of being driven by polls. Yeah. And I think that if you talk about – you know, what happened when uh, when Barack Obama was elected. I mean, not only was it sort of a sensation that excited young people and showed, you know, a, a 
you know, that uh, uh, somebody who wasn't, a, you know, just a, like a random white guy could be elected president. That was all very exciting. But the the power of that campaign and how they beat Hillary Clinton was through micro-targeting by right. drilling down and figuring out what these very small cohorts of people wanted and when they wanted it and how they wanted it and how you could get to them. And so now the business of becoming president is not about uh, talking about, you know, uh, what you know? What you can do for your country right. in a very broad way. It's about how do I craft a robocall that will get you to give me five bucks on a recurring credit card donation without annoying the guy who lives next door to you that you might be like playing golf with tomorrow who doesn't really like me. You know, it's 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 every, right. it, everything is so hyper calculated in such a granular way. Yeah that you lose a lot of big picture stuff that used to be about, you know, how you got to be president. Right. Well, Trump's got big picture stuff. Trump is, you feel like Trump is not doing a lot of micro-targeting. Well, I mean, he's, <laughs> uh, you know, and if you could explain much of how he would actually accomplish any of the things that he's talking about, I've spent obviously now well over a year uh, covering the guy and I have yet to determine exactly how the wall would get built, where it would be, who would pay for it. Uh, well, Mac- no, Mexico's going to pay for it. I, I've, I, I've heard, heard I've, that. I've heard that. Yeah, I they think were, that's they were saying pretty that. obvious. I heard that at a Trump rally. Yeah, Mexico's going to pay for it. And, and every time they say they won't, the wall gets higher. This is a thing that an actual president, a presidential candidate is saying, which is so insane to me, so childish. This is what I can't understand. Well, I was going to say about micro-targeting, what's really interesting is, div- I don't know if you guys saw that story that was like the... Uh, they were taking a tour of their campaign facility that the RNC like now owns. They're like big infrastructure. And their big thing was like, we made Facebook ads to stop black people from voting for Hillary yeah. at all. Like from voting the, Bloom- at all. the Bloomberg story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they also, I mean, I just read a story. Um, they're sitting in the, in the, in the, um, in the cafeteria of Trump tower and they're on 270 to win a website playing out scenarios of, well, if he takes uh Florida, but doesn't get Pennsylvania. It's like they're playing fantasy football. That's not that's not high tech to me. So so I guess this is and this is and then we should we should wrap up because you're you need to fry sleep a little bit before tomorrow, which is going to be a nightmare for everybody. But um, everybody on every side, by the way, I don't everybody I feel sympathy, except the person who wins. I'll uh, probably ex- have a pretty good day, except for the winner. <laughs> but I think on every side, I feel sympathy for Republican and Democrat alike. Tomorrow's gonna suck, no matter how you slice it. Just it doesn't. There's no joy in this. I don't think there's a joy. I think the only thing that will happen is if Hillary wins, there will be relief for for. Do you feel like maybe Gary Johnson's having a pretty good time? He seems like he's bopping along. I mean, he's... Gary Johnson doesn't know. He's so high, he doesn't know what's happening. It's rock climbing. He's, Gary Johnson is. I mean, he can't find Aleppo. I doubt he's worried about. I, I'm sorry. Well, it's true. I mean, the guy doesn't know where Aleppo is or what it is, actually. Not even where it is. I'd have trouble pointing it out on a map, but I at least know what it is. Okay, anyhow. And I'm not running for president. Okay. But here's the thing. This Damn, is what I, I thought you were going to make some news here. I am running 2020. Me and <laughs> right Kanye. In. The campaign I'm, starts I'm, now. I'm going against Kanye in 2020. Um, but how does the Republican Party come back from this? Because I'll just say this. I look at Repu- the Republicans and I think, you want to go to war? I mean, at this point, your, your leaders are racist. None of your none of your other leaders have truly denounced. I mean, really said, no, we won't do this. We won't back this guy. They said, I won't come to his campaign. I won't go to his rally. I'm not going to speak for him. But nobody said, I won't give this guy my vote. He's not worth your vote. Don't trust him. Because that, to me, I would be really 
respectful of any Republican who stood up and said that. And Kasich, I think, has done it. Uh, Cruz, there, there were people who said that they would. Yeah, Cruz, Cruz the, folded. The, yeah, you know, the whole phone bank. There there yeah. are well, other Paul candidates. Ryan was like, I'm voting for him, but I'm not endorsing I've it. I've never heard of this <laughs> where that's the textbook definition of a racist. I won't endorse him, but I'll vote for him. It's like I understand you could just say I'm not voting in this election. I would have more respect for that. Or you could say that I, you know, I I don't want to discuss it. I've said, I mean, well, if you say that I, you know, I I support the nominee of the party, that that's the same thing. Some people have been out there saying that they won't do it. I mean, how, how does do, the Republican do how does the Republican Party come back? I mean, it depends. It, it, see, that's the thing. It all depends. If Trump wins, then Trump wins. We're doomed. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I well. I, I would prefer to not be doomed, but I think that we'll. I'll have a lot to write about, and I'll. I well, what will, do you think uh, happens to the to the economy, global economy, if Trump wins? What do well, you think? What, I mean, what do you think happens to our NATO? Bigger or less than Brexit? <sighs> well, with what because he calls himself be, Mr. Brexit, right? Be far he worse calls than himself. Brexit. I think. Well, I think yeah, it would be completely different. I mean, I think it would send global shockwaves through the uh, through the entire. I mean. Through the entire system, I think that – I mean initially there would be great, great chaos as things are wont to do. They would probably settle down eventually if you know, if, if it uh, works out the way you kind of expect it that – you know, the thing about as shocking as it might be for Trump to get elected, American government is very wisely designed to – protect itself against precipitous change. Even if you somehow elected a complete off-the-chain, raving maniac, drooling tyrant. That's Donald Trump. You just described Donald Trump. If that happened, <laughs> you still not you still could not fundamentally change the way America works. He in, can't in a, sign an executive day. order that we leave NATO. I mean I don't think that I don't think that he could marshal Okay. Well, first of all, there's two things. Number one, a lot of things cannot be achieved by executive order. And you read these stories that say like, well, no, as a matter of fact, the president can unilaterally declare war. Uh, so, but the question is, would he? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, what Donald Trump does uh, uh, and has done throughout the campaign has been a lot of light and not very much heat. I'm going to do this. It's going to be so good. You're going to love it. You're going to get so sick of winning. You're going to this. Yeah, you're going to yeah. that. You're you're so, I, that's the best one. I'm sorry. You remind me. You're going to get so sick of winning. Yeah, I'm going to be so tired of winning under Donald Trump. <laughs> His exact, exact quote was like, you're going to say to me, Donald, please don't let us win anymore. <laughs> and I'm going to say, say no. That? Yeah, and he said, and I'm going to say no. No. We're no. going to keep winning. See, if it wasn't so fucking tragic, it would be hilarious. That's the thing. So even if he wins, I think that you can't – I mean you cannot the, – the government is designed with checks and balances. Uh, it is designed to not uh, have a president who is uh, capable of doing anything he or she wants when he wants it without uh, – uh, without – some sort of some sort of restraints a lot of paperwork on his power right. yeah or, well, you you're, know, the, you're the that, first person well, who's that made congress me, thing you're the first person who's made me feel even a little bit good about it like just hearing you talk about it makes me feel slightly less well we've I mean, had I some presidents how, that were you know kind of excitable guys and yeah. you know we're, we're lucky I mean, enough to uh to still be here uh, but the answer to the question about the republican party if he loses okay so that's if he wins yeah if he, wins. If he loses then the republican party 
probably has to completely remake itself. And I don't know if Paul Ryan, even uh, as as much of Trump's stuff as he has rejected, will be the guy to do it because ultimately he didn't reject him entirely. I mean, and as Donald Trump could probably tell you, you know, is it easier to renovate or is it easier to knock it down and construct it new? Well, this is what I what I don't get. Donald Trump brought in all of these. Maybe they were latent there, but there were all of these sort of attitudes that were kind of fresh to a modern Republican um uh, follower, right? Like this, 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 these, this idea of the deportation force and the building the wall and the, this extreme, these extreme versions of things that maybe we've heard from there, you know, a little bit from or a lot from Republicans. Even most Republicans at, at the leadership level supported some form of like some path to citizenship or some reform on immigration that actually led to more more togetherness. Maybe they didn't have the best ideas, but they weren't like, we're going to build a wall and keep all these guys out. So, so what I wonder is like, what would it take for like a Bernie to show up in the, on the Republican side of things where it's like, socially, I don't care. Socially, I'm fine with li- being liberal. Uh, you know, I think in terms of war, let's go to fewer wars. Fiscally, I have some radical ideas about because I think the government's not working like Trump. Trump talks about the government not working and all these, you know, uh, lobbyists and everybody's everything's rigged. If you had somebody like that, but wasn't an insane person. You mean like a political Megyn Kelly? Like a like I mean, like a like a politician version of that. I don't know what they would be, but they would be somebody who appeal could appeal to a person like, let's say me or you. Where they go like, I've got no gay people, fine, no problem. Gay marriage, whatever, no problem. Uh, Women should be able to choose what they do with their bodies. But I'm fiscally conservative and I'm Christian and there's a few other things that you kind of throw in there. So basically kind of like a a enhanced Gary Johnson type of. Yeah, like a enhanced Gary Johnson. I don't know how to describe it. Like a Gary Johnson Terminator, like a a cyborg Gary Johnson. No, Like a young Gary Johnson who knew where Aleppo was. Like somebody, a you young, know, a like chari- young next- charismatic person who's ideal, who did not have hardcore, extreme, isolationist, nationalist, racist, uh, uh, warmongering. Is that even possible in the Republican Party? Would that even be a thing that yeah, could exist in the Republican it, it Party? Was, I mean, it, it's it a did, Democrat. It did. It was well. No, I mean, it was. I mean, in this in this case, it was. Uh, I believe Donald Trump referred to him as uh, Little Marco. Is Marco that guy? Uh, I mean, he's not every th- every single thing you just described, but as far as being certainly much more moderate, centrist, uh, uh, telegenic yeah. type of youthful type of, uh, you know, not. Uh, I mean, he's uh, not real charismatic, though. Well, I mean, he's uh, <laughs> you know, he's 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 better. I will say this about Rubio is he's better in a, a small forum. You know, you see him yeah. at a town hall and the yeah. people like him and they're excited. There was, I think the first one of the Republican actually one of the Republican debates during the primaries. I may have even tweeted about it. I should go back and look. There was a moment where I was like, Rubio actually sounds sort of sane. Like amongst, you know, the Carsons and the Trumps and the whoever else, you know, the uh, the rent's too damn high or whoever else is running. Uh, Vermin Supreme or, you know, Vermin Supreme? Yeah. A, yeah, do, I, okay. do I know Vermin Supreme? Well, of course, you Supreme. Do New York politics. Do I know Vermin you know, whoever was on stage. <laughs> was, he was like, look at my Vermin Supreme tattoo. <laughs> You're like, have you read my Vermin Supreme feature story? Watch my Vermin Supreme videos. Oh, really? You've got some? Yes, I, I love do. Ver- I wish Vermin Supreme well, was running. I asked running. Vermin Supreme actually in, in Philadelphia outside the DNC. I said, you know, I see you're running again. I said, what are you going to? do if you're not going to win? He said, ah, I'll probably riot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the president we need in this country is Vermin Supreme. He's got the right, he's got everything that's right for the job. But anyhow, so He takes so, the tough questions, huh? Okay, so Rubio. 
Rubio. Okay, so Rubio got bounced on his didn't. ass. But you know, even if you don't agree with Rubio, but Rubio, okay, much younger. Okay, you know, in his forties, uh, son of immigrants, b- bilingual. Uh, Different ideas about immigration policy. Still, to your point, uh, still a uh, Christian. Pro-life. You know, okay, pro-life. But, uh, you know, so, I mean. Yeah, but he's not going to work real hard. He's pro-life. But you have a feeling Rubio's not going to immediately appoint somebody to try to overturn Roe v. Wade. No. That's not his being. He's pro-life like Obama's (laughs) (laughs) anti-war. He's like, quote unquote, pro-life. I mean, you maybe. Who knows? But is Marco Rubio, is, is it like I'm thinking, oh, God, Rubio 2020 is the answer? Yeah, no, I'm not, not, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. But somebody, he, when people looked at Rubio or on the more, toward a more conservative bent, a guy like Ted Cruz. Right. Well, you know, Ted Cruz is, like, I mean, Ted Cruz is like, uh, he's <laughs> like only a little bit better than Trump. Well, Ted Cruz, as we <laughs> said earlier, was was not known to be a, uh, you know, a, a bastion of <laughs> of uh, liberal thought. But, I mean, if you're talking about the future of the party, if you could find somebody who was, and maybe it's a woman. Yeah, but you're telling me these are all the past. These are, to okay, me, feel people, like the past. Those, the are the people, those are people who Donald Trump defeated in primaries. Those are the people who <laughs> thought could make the play you're talking about. Yeah. Who got crushed. That was the best they had. But it's under like the Paul Trump Ryan team. with Mitt Romney was a little of that energy where it was like, he's a younger guy. Look, he's in men's health. I mean, Paul it was Ryan's embarrassing. Very sexy, he, very sexy guy. Yeah. How come he can't make it this happen? This is why journalists should not express opinions. I say nothing about Paul Ryan being sexy. Very hot. <laughs> very <laughs> hot. He did he do a shirtless? He did a shirtless men's health uh, thing, right? That was a little cringy though. Yeah, of course it's cringy. Because it's like the Republicans <laughs> can't do anything. The, the, everything cool. they do is they so can't white. be cool. They can't be cool. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like Hillary in that way. Like Hillary has a problem being cool, right? That's been a big joke of this. Is like she's Pokemon, like, it's on go to the polls. Yeah, she's like, it's on it's a fleek. It's on fleek. You know, it's <laughs> oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the whole like that. Yeah, her Snapchat was just I remember I mean, when but, I saw that thing and I was just like, she's like, just chilling in Cedar Rapids. <laughs> And I was like, uh, why don't you just like run for president normal? And, you know, it's okay if you don't aren't like being chill. That's the thing about Bernie. That's the thing about Bernie. Bernie was just like a raving. He's like your raving grandfather. But you're, it worked somehow. You're well, like, and especially the young people. It's it's like authentic. You think maybe because maybe you don't need. Maybe that's the point because young people don't want all this inauthentic, yeah. prepackaged. Like, oh, you know, our computer modeling designed this candidate just for you. You're well, gonna yeah. love it. Also, all this stuff was like, it's like they get enough memes already. It's like, don't be a meme. Be a human. You like, know how much reality sound? TV show we've watched and had to decide what was actual reality, what was inauthentic posing. Right, right, like we know, right? right. I agree. So anyhow, but so but here's I will say this about Hillary. Okay. When you get, when you it's like you're doing she's doing a comedy set and she just followed Seinfeld or whatever. I mean Barack Obama is the most charismatic He's singing funny, Prince. He's singing fun, Prince to children. Funny, cool, interesting. I mean, I'll say this. Uh, his his ability to hold the attention of a crowd is unlike anything I've seen from any other politician in my lifetime. I mean, maybe Bill Clinton. I was going to say Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is kind of like... That's a tough call. I've had that fight with people. Obama 08 versus uh, versus, uh, Clinton. I personally think, I don't know. I mean... I mean, I've I've seen people fall down in a faint yeah. at an Obama rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Obama's a phenomenon. I mean, it, even it's Michelle, like, it's a double. Oh, I mean, Michelle's oh, yeah. incredible. I mean, Mich- and by the way, Michelle, I, I feel like that should run, run eight years, four years, eight years, whatever happens. And I people mean, are like Chelsea Clinton. Both your parents are presidents. You're groomed for this. I was like, Chelsea does not have the sparkle Chelsea, we need. Chelsea's not. Right. I what don't do you think say? That. She doesn't have the stamina. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she seems uh, she's been coffee. No, but here's the thing. Or maybe she doesn't even. Yeah, I mean, if I were her, I'd be like, I definitely don't want. I mean, if, I think she's bakery, had enough with a the, very quiet bakery. <laughs> but but the, but oh, so so to Hillary's like credit, 
I mean, she's tried hard. I get it, though. She's got. It's like trying to compete with the literally the greatest living uh, uh, speaker that we have in politics. Maybe second only. Or, or, or equal to Bill Clinton, who she also has to compete with in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about she's not she's not in that league, I would say, in terms of either in terms of stadium speeches or in terms of the personal interaction. When you see people, their eyes roll back in their head because they're making eye contact with somebody or you're in the same room with somebody. But, you know, the I think that I always like to ask myself this question. You know, people always say, you know, would you like to have a president that you could go and hang out with, have a beer with, and, you know, maybe, you know, play some cards, whatever. And I, I kind of think to myself, that sounds interesting, but no. Yeah. You know what? No, I don't yeah. want that. I want a president that's 10 times smarter than me. Yes. At asleep. You want a nerd. Asleep. You want kind Tracy Flick. And all they <laughs> care about Geller. is being president. Yeah, but here's the thing. I agree with you, except, okay, Obama, he is extremely... Uh, to me, it's not just a put on like he's a very smart guy who really, really understands a lot of like what is no, what, he's a constitutional scholar. He's been yeah. a professor. Yes. yes I mean, he yes, really he things. really has a, sh- a sense of the shape of what, what politics can and should be, in my opinion. Okay. Now, has he executed perfectly? I mean, I, I would not I would say the answer is no, but he's also had a lot of challenges. No politician is going to be perfect. Let's be honest. Uh, he also happens to be a brilliant fascinating, funny. I mean, the funniest president I feel like we've ever had. I mean, his ability to, his timing, his comedic timing is like, it's very modern. It feels to me like he's like the first modern president. And and, and he feels like to me like my first president. And that's not the case, but, you know, I voted for Gore. Um, but anyhow, thanks a lot, Al. But, uh, <laughs> oh, burn. And I guess I voted I mean, for Kerry. I guess I voted for <laughs> Kerry too. I've totally forgotten about Kerry. Actually, like he kind of got erased. Anyhow, ouch. But the but um, where was I going with this thing? Well, you were talking about like about presidents who are charismatic and who have. Oh, I I agree with you that they should not be cool. Like I don't need the president to be cool. I'm happy with Hillary being kind of a square. That's cool. Be bad at jokes. Be good at governing. Right. Be smart about about the world. Be smart about your peers. Like I don't. We already need to, have Ellen. We totally yeah. Need. I don't. Need, I have. There's a million people who can make me laugh. There's a million people who are now. Is it inspirational and exciting? Can you get a crowd worked up when you're really a great speaker and you are really smart? Yes. Clearly, that's the case. But 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 to, I, I definitely fall back on this, and I am a hundred percent in agreement with you on this. This idea we have that it's a, this reality show. Where the candidate has to be charming, and I want to have a beer with. This is the thing with with Bush. I remember people talked about. He seems like the kind of guy you'd want to have a beer with, and Gore seems stiff and weird. And it's like, yeah, he's a huge nerd. He's a scholar. He's been sitting around learning things his whole life, and being a politician and trying to do things, and like trying to do things for the greater good, or at least what seems like the greater good. Bush was like, you know. Getting blasted and like flunking out of uh, <laughs> flight <laughs> flight school or whatever. I mean, he's not like a. You know, I didn't get the pre- impression from Bush that yeah, maybe he'd be fun to party with, or maybe he was just more approachable. I mean, maybe he used simple language and he he wasn't he definitely used pre- simple language. You know, pretentious or uh, didn't he wasn't he wasn't. Uh, "Quote unquote," sort of highfalutin. Yeah, I want a highfalutin president. That's what okay, I'm after. Okay, I mean, but you want you want a, a smart, competent, educated, dedicated president. The the, char- the the charismatic stuff comes in in two ways. It gets you elected, and then to some extent, the ability to to negotiate and to 
to lobby people. Right. You know, if you have an adversarial Congress, okay, can you make a personal connection with people or can you be approachable and believable enough to try to forge some kind of compromise that you need to get your agenda accomplished? Right. That doesn't mean you have to have, you know, like a dope Snapchat account. <laughs> Doesn't hurt though, does it? <laughs> does Obama? What's his Snapchat like? I don't see it. I don't like it. I see her. I see uh, Michelle. The, the first, the first lady has one. I'd be, uh, I'd be surprised if we don't see Michelle running. I mean, is that what? I don't know what the future of the Republicans are. But I can guess at a couple of different futures for Democrats. She's definitely one of them. I mean, her and Barack. How old is he? They're like they're in their forties, late forties. He's fifty-five, actually. She's fifty-two. Well, at any rate, she's young. I felt like when they met, they met in, uh, wait, did they meet at HLS or did they meet when she, when he came to work at the law firm in Chicago? Because now I'm. Ryan, this is your chance to shine. I'm. After law school, Michelle worked as an associate at the Chicago branch of the firm Sidley Austin in the area of marketing and intellectual property. It was there in 1989 when I was born that she met her husband, Barack Obama. Wow, that's crazy. They met in 89. That's the year Batman, Tim Burton's Batman came out. Oh, I was I, I was twelve. I, I like Tim Burton's Batman. Great, that's the greatest Batman. Totally, that totally. I actually Batman Returns is my favorite, which is the sequel. Yeah, the, yeah, Tim yeah. Burton, Michelle Pfeiffer, come Michelle on, Michelle Pfeiffer, and and that Danny was a good, DeVito. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, very sad uh, at the end. Spoiler alert: the penguin dies, and his emperor penguins carry him into the water. It's very depressing. <sighs> See very, those penguins fighting? This is a great, <laughs> this is a great place to leave it. I think. Um, Celeste, thank you. <laughs> so perfect. We've I, now you now you've gotten the full you've gotten the full tomorrow experience because we went to some completely because bizarre I took place. It to Michelle Listen, Pfeiffer, is, 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 that like, is it a, is it a great place to leave it or a great place to make it stop? I think that's it. That's Wait, it. Seriously, is, is the president really really older than his wife? Because I sounds s- like it sounds like a story on Mike tomorrow. Oh, I don't know. I'm get gonna, to the bottom. We can finally get to the really, truth about Obama. Maybe she. Maybe it was that she graduated from. Well, law you know, we don't know his age because we haven't seen his birth his birth certificate. Once we get the real uh, birth certificate, we'll get uh, his uh, actual age, his Muslim I'll age. I'll call Kenya. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Let's real quick. Okay, we're done. I want to wrap up, but okay, before we wrap up, sure. Okay, this is gonna this is gonna go up to Tuesday. This tomorrow morning. Tomorrow it's, morning. It's Tuesday morning. If you're listening to this, it's almost Tuesday now. <laughs> Who do you think is going to be president at the end of this day? Oh, God. This is where I make the horrible prediction. Oh, my God. Just, I don't. You know. Come on. Search your heart. You've Jill studied Stein. this election. It's Jill Stein. What if it's an upset? Gary Johnson becomes president of the United States. Based on what I've seen, based on what I've seen, uh, I believe that uh, Hillary Clinton will win the election. I'm scared that you This is me that. knocking wood. Do you want to record a, a different version if we think, thinks, who knows what's going to come out in the next few we hours? It could be another travel. FBI email. No, because we have, to, I mean, we have to see. I mean, because we have to see. I mean, a lot of people, you know, early voted. We don't know all the results of that. We don't know if turnout is going to be uh, dramatically higher or lower than it was in, um, you know, uh, in, in-person turnout will be yeah. higher or lower than it was uh, four years ago. I would think higher, but turnout is generally disappointing in the United States. It, anyway. really, it really is. I think voting should be mandatory here, and I think there should be a fine if you don't do it. Well, I mean, there is a, uh, there are countries that have, of course, mandatory. I think that's mandatory. the way we should do it, especially for young people. There are studies that show that you do it more if you feel like you're choosing to do it versus paying the $10. We're la- we have lazy people here, though. They should be Why involved. Why have you ever not this. moved your car because you didn't feel like, oh, I'll pay the ticket? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's, that's fine. I'm okay. open to that. But I still feel like it would encourage some people to go like, all right, fine. I'll go vote. Or you could get money out of it. 
Yeah, you can make some yeah, money. Yeah, they should pay people. I, I also think, but of course, we could do a whole lot. <laughs> they should pay people. <laughs> That's a good idea. Is we'll give you t- if you were like if it. you were like we'll give you twenty bucks to vote. Yeah, the homeless would vote. I mean, honestly, if they were like, we'll give you twenty dollars if oh, you vote. I would be there tomorrow morning. You know how bad I need twenty dollars? Why don't they do that? They'll just say, listen, give the them government. Twenty dollars to the vote government, for who? No, to vote. Anybody. The government encourage. The, it's a totally bipartisan. The government encourages its citizens to to speak. Here's twenty dollars. Everybody. They everybody. They hope everybody who's eligible to vote, everybody who's 18 and up, who can vote. Anyhow, how much would that cost? How many people is that? 170 uh, million or something? 300 million people from the nation? That's 350, I think, now. We're like, we're growing. Well, we're but, but, the, but the population, I mean, then you have to, you go, have to go to the, the eligible Yeah, it would voting. be. How many eligible voters is it? I mean, you're talking like $7 billion. We can afford that. Do you know what our debt is? Yeah. $7 billion is nothing. Seven to, billion. To stop is, Donald Trump, oh, oh, I would oh, pay seven Apple, billion. Apple, Apple could pay that for the re- till the end of time. Yeah. They have enough money in the bank. If we, if they paid taxes. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> now, anyhow, so we're uh, Celeste. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. This is really, really entertaining and enjoyable. And you have to come back. I think we need to do a post-election, not immediately, but we'll do a post-election episode and talk about the state of the country. Inauguration. Oh, I should say my prediction too. Yeah. Okay. Since we're here. Here's what I'm going to say. All right. I feel like I don't believe in jinxes. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any magical powers anywhere that can control. I'll do it for you. I think for the for the I think that there are more sane people in this country than 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 uh, than it looks like right now. And I think that sanity will prevail. And I think Hillary Clinton is an imperfect candidate who certainly, you know, we have to. um, You know, we can't we're not just going to say, hey, we trust everything you do. But I think that. Sanity. The sane move here is that Hillary Clinton will will be elected. That she has, um, there are going to be more people who turn out who are want this country to remain stable. Like that's what I have to believe. But I will say this: the the amount of people who are willing to go, I don't I don't know what to believe. People were like, "Well, Trump's not going to win any of these primaries." We don't know who's being polled. We don't know who's speaking and not speaking. I mean, we have some idea, but I would just say go and vote. If you're listening to this, every vote matters. Every vote counts. There will be places in this election where it's so close they're going to be counting these votes by hand more than once probably. I mean we, we've seen this happen. Florida, Ohio, uh, those are places that could be very close. Pennsylvania could be very close. I think I, I right now I think it's polling like it's looking like it's going Democrat. But these are going to be – this is going to be a close election and I would just say I believe in my heart that – Sanity will prevail and Hillary Clinton will be president. Also, by the way, so so vote. That's my final statement. But one other thing I'll say is if Hillary Clinton is elected, I really feel like we need to spend a moment or more than one moment recognizing how incredible and insane it is that we finally have a female president in this country after hundreds of years of men. Like, that's a big deal. And it's poignant that she had to defeat a giant Cheetos chicken frog. <laughs> <laughs> And on that point, I think we're going to wrap it up. Celeste, thank you again. Thank you. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. But uh, I've just been told that Trump has won the presidency in the United States of America. And so your family is in bad, bad trouble. <laughs>